I was thinking about that this past week, and I thought about this guy, Augustus Gloop from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp. And, yeah, he likes chocolate a lot. In fact, in the movies, you probably remember Augustus was fascinated by the Chocolate River, and he wanted to get a taste, and he got closer and closer, and, well, he warned him. But uh, you see in the next picture he took the dive into the chocolate. And that reminds me a lot about temptation. Something looks so good, like chocolate, and we want it, and if we eat too much of it, it's not going to be good for our bodies. But when we are tempted to sin and we get closer and closer to it, thinking that we won't get burned by it, eventually we fall into it like this and we're covered with it and it brings a lot of pain and consequences into our lives. So obviously we want to avoid falling into temptation and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we continue in our series help for life's challenges. We're looking at the life of Joseph, and certainly he had a lot of challenges in his life. Let me give you a little background, if you haven't been with us for the first part of our series last week. Joseph was born to Jacob, who had 12 sons, and Jacob favored Joseph. In fact, he favored so much favored him so much that he made him a coat of many colors, a very expensive coat, and this, of course, infuriated his brothers. Already couldn't stand him because he was favored. And on top of that, Joseph had some arrogance. He had some dreams that God gave him that one day he would rule over his brothers, and he decided to share these dreams with his brothers, which did not endear him in any way <laughs> to his brothers. It just put more fuel on the fire to it. So it came to the point that his brothers decided that they were going to kill him. Some other brothers said, hey, let's not go that far. So they threw him into a cistern and eventually sold him into slavery. That brings us up to this week, second in a part, a five-part series. We look at Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar... An Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Islamites who had taken him there. So here we have this young man taken away from his beloved father, taken away from his comfortable lifestyle in a wealthy family, taken away from his homeland. His life turned upside down. And he doesn't know what the future holds. He's now a slave. And he's bought by Potiphar, not an ordinary Egyptian citizen. In fact, he was captain of the guard. He was an official of Pharaoh, which basically meant he was the head of the secret service guard around Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was also known as the chief executioner. So he had a lot of roles. Now, last week we talked about the fact that what we learn from Joseph's life is how we view our circumstances. Let's quickly review that. In this next slide we see, don't focus on your circumstances. Focus on God in the midst of your circumstances. 
So when we focus on our circumstances, we give ourselves over to anxiety, to fear, to frustration, to depression, to being a victim. Being a victim. Well, God doesn't want that. God wants us to be a victor. So what we need to do in the midst of our challenging circumstances is to focus on God. And we need to focus on God's presence. It says many times that the Lord was with Joseph. And God is with you in the midst of your circumstances. No matter how painful they might be, God is there. And He wants to comfort you and resource you and encourage you. Not necessarily to take the circumstance away, but help you to grow through the circumstance. His power is available if you'll just call on it. The power of God can flow through your life in order to help you to do supernatural things in following God in the midst of your pain. And then God has a plan for your life, just as He had a plan for Joseph's life. And as you work through a circumstance and respond to God in the proper way, He's going to make you more like Jesus Christ. He's going to form your character and then He's going to prepare you for what He wants you to do in the future. Uh, he wants you to serve Him. So what you're going through now is preparing you for the future ministry that God has for you. And that helps you keep everything in perspective. And just Instead of just focusing on your circumstance and being consumed with it, you're focusing on God and saying, Lord, I don't like what I'm going through, but I know that you're here with me. I know that you're going to give me the power to deal with this great difficulty that I don't know how I'm going to deal with. I'm going to trust in you, and I know you have a greater plan. There's a reason why you've allowed this into my life. So let's take a look at Joseph's life again. The Lord was with Joseph. That was a presence. He was focusing upon that. I'm sure that Joseph prayed a lot as he went through these challenges in his life. And he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now, what happened here is God's power was flowing through Joseph. God's power was flowing through the situation in that Joseph was very successful in what he did. Whenever you're successful, you tend to give the credit to yourself. And when you're not successful, you blame God or somebody else. <laughs> right? Well, when we're successful, it's because God is bringing us success. He's filling the situation with his power. And that's what we see here. God was with Joseph. God was empowering Joseph. And it, it's all about attitude. When you come to a circumstance, you can play the victim, but you're not going to benefit from the circumstance and the trial you're going through. Or you can embrace the circumstance and say, yes, I would not prefer this to be my life situation, but it is. So I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to focus on God's presence and his power and his plan for my life. And I'm going to do whatever I can to capitalize on this situation. And that's exactly what Joseph did. He didn't go in there saying, I'm just going to get by here. No, he went in there and he used his leadership gifts and administration gifts. And he made a difference. And God, uh, Potiphar, that is, saw God in Joseph and what Joseph was doing. He knew this guy was different. He knew whatever God it was. He didn't care. 
was going to make a difference in Potiphar's life because Joseph was there. So he is entrusted to his care everything uh, that he owned. We move on. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. There we see. We talked about the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph. He left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Can you imagine the trust that he had in Joseph? And really, it was the character of Joseph that kept coming through. When people see that you have a strong character, they are going to trust you. They are going to give you more authority. They are going to give you more privileges. And that's exactly what we see here. The only thing that Potiphar thought about is, what am I going to have to eat tonight? Now, that's a lot of trust. Joseph was managing his finances, his estate. He was managing his employees, his slaves, everything Joseph was taking care of because Potiphar knew that Joseph could be trusted and that Joseph could do a better job of managing Potiphar's house than Potiphar could. Everything was going so well for Potiphar. Now, why was this? Well, it was all part of God's plan. This is part of the training that was necessary for Joseph one day to ascend to the second place in Egypt under Pharaoh in regards to managing the country. And so he was working with Potiphar, who was very close to Pharaoh, so Joseph could understand the government and start to learn some of the dynamics. And it was all preparatory. And sometimes when we're in circumstances, we don't realize what lies ahead. And certainly Joseph didn't know what lay ahead in his life. But he gave it to God. He trusted in God, his presence and his power and his plan. So things are going well. And we all know when things are going really well in our lives for a while, we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? (laughs) Well, we see this in verse 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. This guy had a six-pack. This guy was ripped. He was buff, whatever you want to call it. Only four different times do we see someone described in this way. King David, King Solomon, and Absalom, King David's son. So he was a part of an elite group. And after a while, his master's wife, that's Mrs. Potiphar, took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. No beating around the bush here. Did he brazen? Yeah. She wanted to go to bed with him. Now, who was Mrs. Potiphar? Well, we can only theorized that where she was very wealthy, a sophisticate, had a lot of time on her hands. She got what she wanted, no doubt. And she must have been very beautiful and like a trophy wife, I would assume. She had a lot of money to buy clothes and beautify herself. So here you have this 20-year-old red-blooded Hebrew, and all of a sudden, this very beautiful woman, older than he was, came on to him and said, let's go to bed together. Now, friends, that's a temptation. Again, we've got to think of Joseph as a real person, which he was. And that is the ultimate temptation for a young man. Remember, it was a no-win situation. If he went to bed with her, he could enjoy that. But at the same time, she would tire of him, and eventually 
he'd be punished in some way he knew. And if he said no, well, he was going to experience a woman's fury. So he could say, well, I might as well enjoy myself before <laughs> I experience the pain, right? But the difference was is that his focus was not on his circumstance in terms of how to manipulate and manage things at the moment, which many times we do. His focus was on God and what God wanted. And God did not want him to disobey him. He wanted to honor God by doing the right thing. So we see what he says. But he refused. He refused. Why did he refuse so quickly? He refused so quickly because it was a belief that was deep in his heart. That's, a, that's one of the things you need to realize about temptation. You've got to decide what you're going to do before you're tempted. If you're in a dating relationship with somebody, you've got to determine what the boundaries are before you get there. When you're in the heat of passion, you're not going to be thinking about what's the right thing to do. You need to decide up front, okay, this is what our physical relationship is going to look like so that it honors God. You need to make the decision up front, I'm never going to have an affair. Now, again, you have to continue to revisit that because we can never say that we're never going to do something because temptation is very strong. But we need to understand why we believe that we're not going to do certain things. So when the temptation, the heat of the moment comes on, we can stand strong and say, I've already decided in my heart that I'm not going to do that. So this looks very, very inviting, but I'm not going to do it because I've already thought through this. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. Duh. <laughs> that makes sense, right? How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So what Joseph is saying, listen, Mrs. Potiphar, your husband has given me incredible authority over this house. He has trusted me with everything. He's trusted me with my relationship with you that I'm not going to do anything improper. I'm not going to betray him. You might be willing to betray him. I care for him more than you do. What are you thinking? That's what he's saying. And more importantly, if I do this, I'm not going to just disappoint Potiphar. The thing mostly I don't want to do is disappoint God. Because I'd be rebelling against God. I'd be betraying God. This is a wicked thing. And friends, if you want to overcome temptation in your life, you've got to take whatever sin you're struggling with and you've got to call it what it is. It's wicked. Gossip is wicked. Envy is wicked. Slander is wicked. Pride is wicked. Sometimes we just say, everybody's doing it. It's not that big a deal. We say, I can have some sins in my life. It can't be perfect. You know, it goes on and on, right? But we've got to call it what it is. It's wicked in the eyes of God. And do we care what God thinks about our lives? Of course we do. So he called it for what it is. It's a wicked thing and sin against God. Now we move on. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now you'd think after that speech he'd back off, but she knew that she had the power and she had the leverage and she'd just wear this guy down. I mean, come on. Look at me. 
you know? Come on, let, let, let's have some fun. And that's the nature of temptation, isn't it? We all have a weak area. Some people struggle with pride. For other people, that's not an issue with them. Some people struggle with sexual lust. With other people, that's not an issue with them. Some people struggle with materialism. or other people, that's not an issue with them. You see, all I'm saying is, is that every one of us has several weak areas where we know that we tend to give in to temptation. That's an area of sin that is not totally under control in our lives. So I want you to think about what is that area of sin today so that you can put a strategy together, empowered by God, to overcome that. And maybe this was Joseph's weakness. I have no idea. But we see day after day she continued to tempt him. And we don't know if he rethought it and said, well, maybe. I have no idea. But again, day after day, and that's the nature of temptation. If you have a weakness in your area, in your life, that is, let's say uh, of being prideful, arrogant, uh, not maybe to other people, but you think that you're the best ever and that uh, you don't need God and you'll use Him in emergencies, that probably will be an issue of sin for the rest of your life, an issue of temptation. So you need to learn how to deal with that weak area so Satan can't attack you there and overcome you. Uh, another area here is uh, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Notice what he's doing. He's avoiding the temptation. He's tired of it, and he knows that if he keeps listening to it, he might give in. So he works his schedule around so he doesn't even have to see Mrs. Potiphar. And that's what we need to do with temptation. We need to remove ourselves from situations where we're tempted. most common illustration is if you struggle with eating the wrong foods, you get those wrong foods out of the house, right? You avoid them. Well, that's what Joseph is doing here. Let's take a moment to look at the anatomy of a sin. We see it in James chapter 1, 14 through 15. This is basically what happens to each of us when we're tempted and how we can fall into sin. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So we've got three stages here. The life cycle of sin. It starts with desire, then conception, which leads to birth, and then... When it's full grown, it leads to death. So you have desire, disobedience, and death. Desire, disobedience, and death. It all starts with desire. It all starts in the mind and the heart. Every sin starts there. We have natural desires. We have a desire for shelter. We have a desire for food. We have a desire for material things. We have a desire for sex. We have a desire for financial resources. And if they're within the boundaries of God's Word, uh, it's okay to fulfill those desires. But when we're tempted to jump outside the boundaries, that's when we get into trouble. That's when we get burned by sin. So it's so important as we read in Proverbs chapter Proverbs chapter 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. 
You need to guard your heart. You need to guard your mind because that's where sin begins. That's where you're tempted by your own evil desire. Don't blame Satan. <laughs> we always say, oh, Satan's attacking me. Well, Satan's not attacking you. You're, you're giving in to your own sinful nature. Now, Satan can encourage you along the way, no doubt. It's your decision. We look at the idea of being dragged away. That's the idea of a hunter dragging off an animal. Enticing is the idea of a fisherman. I think a fisherman or a fisherwoman. Here, okay. All right, we want to use the right type of bait, right, to get the right type of fish. And Satan knows your bait. So you better know it, right? You better know your area of weakness. Now, let me put some different sins up here. This was done by Discipleship Journal asking Americans what uh, the most common sins were in their life, ranked from one uh, to nine. Materialism was number one. That makes sense. The desire for stuff, to own stuff, to get your joy from stuff. Pride, we've talked about that. Self-centeredness, it's all about me. Laziness, a tie between anger and bitterness. Sexual lust, envy, gluttony, lying. Now look at that list and say, are any of those your weak area? I want you to identify at least one weak area take a look at that list and say where am I weakest where can Satan encourage me I'm already going down that road many times where can he encourage me to fully enter into sin I came across another study a survey of 3,000 US adults identifies the differences and similarities between what men and women say tempts them the most this is interesting for sex 50% of the men say that's the number one Temptation, women, 20%. Food, men, 27%. Women, 56%. Money, men, 14. Women, 15. Alcohol, men, 7. Women, 2. Power, men, 2%. And women, 7%. That was interesting. Uh, Power-hungry women out there. Oh, really, I think uh, sex and food takes up so much they don't have any... <laughs> Choices for power, right? <laughs> I think this men are bigger, bigger sinners. I'm not sure. But all I had to say is that you have to be a student of yourself. You need to say stop. And, and what our tendency is, I know I can lean this way, is we just think of the big sins. You know, I haven't told any whoppers of lies. I haven't slandered somebody. I haven't... Uh, mistreated somebody, haven't abused anyone, and so we think we're good when we we don't think about some of these other sins, like self-centeredness. Now, people in our family might notice that we're self-centered, but typically a lot of other people aren't going to notice that. Or being prideful. You can be really prideful in your life and appear humble, but you're really prideful. So a lot of these things are very subtle that we really need to ask the Holy Spirit to unearth and to identify in our lives. How about cheating? Let's talk about taxes. It's about that time, right? Did you know that back in 1987, 7 million children in the United States were kidnapped? Now it's a big government conspiracy, okay? I'm telling you about it. You know about it now. 1987, 
Seven million children just disappeared. What happened? Well, it was April 15th. And the government said that to claim a children, a child that is, as a dependent, you had to put their Social Security number down. Well, that year, seven million children went off the books. <laughs> because it means that seven million children were fictitious the year before just to get another dependent. But they didn't have a Social Security for this fictitious child. So, well, can't claim Jimmy anymore, who doesn't exist, <laughs> because they don't have a Social Security number for him. And maybe that's a pattern in your life. You're always cheating on your taxes. Well, that's sin. Oh, everybody does it. The government is wasting our money on, on, but it's wrong. Okay? So we have to identify these things and deal with them. Well, we move on. James 1, 14 and 15, desire we talked about. He is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. It's like a baby is born. Sin is born. You decide, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go against God's will because I think it's best for me. It makes sense for me. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So you see, it starts with desire. You start to cook up your strategy, your sinful strategy. And then you make the decision to do what you've decided to do. And then you continue to sin. And there's a period of time, typically, that you continue this sinful pattern until it ends in death. Now, what's death? Well, it's the opposite of life. And it can mean many things. It's really the consequences of sin. That is death. It can be as small as your child losing respect for you. It can be as serious as you losing your family. It depends on what the sin is and how deep you are into the sin. But sin grows within us and it's manifested and we think everything is okay. We can continue to sin, continue to sin until finally God disciplines us and God brings the consequences into our lives. So here's a question for you. Where are you on the spectrum? Maybe you're thinking right now, you're kind of hatching an idea of how you're going to sin and how you're going to get away, for, get away with it and why it's not really all that bad. You've got to stop that, right? Or maybe you've already sinned. Maybe you're in the middle of some type of sin that you're committing on a regular basis and you commit the sin and nobody says anything. You seem to be getting away with it. But inside, of course, it's causing a lot of issues because you're rebelling against God. And for all of us, I think we can look back in our lives where we've experienced death. We can look back at a sin in our life that we continued to do until God got a hold of us and disciplined us and we realized that it was wrong and we looked at the consequences of what happened because of that. And I would really encourage you and I to think about that a lot, to think about where we've experienced death in our, our lives, where we've lost things because of our sin, where we've experienced the discipline of God, because that will certainly motivate us to not sin in the future. So we see the life cycle there. The important thing is wherever you are in that life cycle, the day is a day that you make a decision to stop. All right? Oh, we move on. In the story, verse 11, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, 
and none of the household servants was inside. Now, that's interesting that they note that. None of the household servants was inside. Why do you think that is? Well, my theory is, is this was a big setup. She knew that he was never going to go to bed with her. So he said, she said to herself, I'll frame him. So I'll get everybody out of the house so nobody will be able to be a witness to this. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So I think she really kind of attacked him. And she held on to the cloak in such a way that he could not leave unless he left the cloak behind. Okay. I don't know what he was wearing under the cloak, but he didn't care. He wanted to get out of there because he knew that she was going to try to trap him. So he just took off. We read in verse 13, when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport, uh, sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. Rape. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me. Now, that's not what happened, right? She was holding on to the cloak and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you br brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And how does Potiphar respond? Verse 19. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, here's my question. Yet Potiphar, he has unquestioned trust in Joseph over a period of time. We don't know how long it was, maybe a year or two. He has such trust that he just gives everything over to Joseph. And now his wife makes this accusation. Now, if he believed this accusation and he was the chief executioner, he was just a slave. He wasn't even an Egyptian citizen. Don't you think that he would be first in line the next morning for the chopping block? I think so. Why would he put him in the king's prison? Well, my theory is that he didn't believe his wife. She probably had had affairs before. you got to realize that it was very liberal in Egypt in terms of morals, as we can see from her behavior. And she had had affairs. He probably had had affairs. Who knows? But he sees right through his wife, I believe. Now, he can't say, oh, honey, you're lying. We'll keep Joseph in charge of everything, right? He can't save face, or he can't save face like that. So what he does, he says, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not, I'm not going to put him in the regular prison, but I'm going to put him in the king's prison. I was kind of a higher level prison. I'm going to put him there because I don't want to kill him. He hasn't done anything wrong. But at the same time, I have to do something here. That's at least my theory. Uh, Joseph, of course, he was framed, but I think that Potiphar realized that that was the case. Now, let's take a look at how Joseph responded again. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians, if we could bring that verse up. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Joseph did the right thing. When he was trapped, he ran. Now, what do you think if he sat down next to Potiphar's wife and said, 
Mrs. Potiphar, let's talk about this one more time. The three points I gave you before, <laughs> she would have been all over him, right? He needed to run. And that is the nature of sexual sin. Our sexual drive is so strong, it can overcome us. So therefore, we need to have a plan of how we're going to live our sexual lives in relationship to especially other people who are not our spouse. Uh, and as well as if you're in a dating relationship, as we talked about before, you need to have a plan. And the plan is when you are faced with sexual temptation, you need to run. You need to avoid it. You need to do everything you can to stay away from it. And I just want to take a moment to talk to men this morning because we need to constantly be dealing with this issue of pornography in our country today. And I know with a crowd this large, there are probably many men who are struggling with pornography. And women need to understand this pull to pornography. I mean, think about your favorite food. I used to really like Cinnabons. And imagine if there was a hot, a piping hot Cinnabon in every room in my house, and they just stayed hot all the time. And the whole house was filled with the aroma of Cinnabons. When I came to the office, every place in the church, it smelled like a, a big Cinnabon. <laughs> I'd have more of a problem than I do. So, this is the problem, ladies is that men have a very strong attraction to women, especially women who don't have clothes on. And so therefore, if it's on their computer, if they can access it on their computer, which many men work on their computers all the time, they have home computers and things of that nature, and it's so simple to access, obviously that's going to be an incredible temptation. And it's all anonymous. It can be done in the privacy of your own home. Well, it's a setup for terrible, terrible consequences because of sin. And that's why, guys, we need to guard ourselves. And it's rampant among Christians, Christian evangelicals. Again, especially you think of young men who are growing up with this. I mean, back when I was a kid, you know, I was in somebody's garage and Playboys in somebody's garage. Or the raciest thing you might see is, you know, a mechanic's calendar. I mean, you know, it's right on your computer. So we have to train our children as well how to deal with this issue because they're going to deal with it for the rest of their lives. Porn is an epidemic. And if you're involved in porn, you need to do something about it. Porn destroys lives. Notice what it says here. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. There's something unique about sexual sin that impacts who we are on the inside. It deteriorates our soul. It's a part of who we are. And we're continuing looking at images that God never intended us to look at. It can be pleasurable for a time, but it's incredibly destructive over the long run. So if you're struggling with this, this needs to be an attack strategy that you need to put into place today. You need to deal with this. Now, many times men will say, oh, yeah, I'll deal with that. And you're, some of you guys are sitting there thinking, yeah, this is an issue, and I'm going to deal with it. Well, it's kind of like what Christ said in the garden. Watch and pray so that you will not be fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body 
is weak. And that's so true about temptation, what Jesus Christ says. We can sit here in the service and say, I'm going to take care of that sexual temptation or whatever temptation you might be thinking about. But when it comes right down to it, when you get in that same situation tonight, in fact, usually there's a pattern to sin. If guys struggle with pornography, usually there's a certain night that they look at pornography or a certain time they look at pornography, and maybe usually it's on Sundays. You have some time, private time alone, and you focus on pornography. You just need to stop. You need to pray for the power of God. You need to realize that God is watching you look at that pornography. And you need to realize that this is not God's plan for your life. And I'll tell you the thing that will help you the most in dealing with pornography or any other sin, and that is accountability. That is to tell someone about your struggle. Tell another Christian brother. Tell your small group leader. Tell one of the pastors. Tell me. Tell somebody. And it's not like people are going to say, oh, how dare you? It's like, no, not at all. Hey, it's very common. It's a real serious problem that can destroy you. But a lot of guys struggle with it. I can think of a guy a long time ago here at Springbrook, and his wife came regularly and were involved and but he had a real serious problem with pornography. And eventually his marriage ended and a lot of uh, consequences fell upon his life. And I wish he would have dealt with it. I wish that he would have come up to me or somebody else saying, I'm really struggling with this. But really, that's the last thing we want to do if we're dealing with that type of thing because there's so much shame involved and those type of things. But you probably tried to overcome that addiction in another way and it hasn't worked. So now it's time to get radical about dealing with this sin. And I know that guys are struggling with it. So guys, tell somebody. And you say, well, I have no desire to tell anybody. I have no desire to give it up. Well, you need to pray on the hour, God, give me the motivation to tell somebody. Give me the motivation to make a change in this area. And today is a day to repent of your sin, to tell somebody to get help. There's a lot of different resources out there. Uh, there's Covenant Eyes, which is a filtering software where basically all the websites you visit can be sent to somebody else who's your accountability partner. Triple X uh, Church is a ministry that's devoted to pornography. Uh, I would encourage you to start there and get online and read all the articles and see what steps you can take to deal with this. But deal with it because we cannot as a church pretend that it's not an issue. It is an issue. And so many men are pulled into it, and we've got to speak very frankly about it, and we need to have people take action. All right? Well, let's look at some other verses that can be an encouragement in this area. 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's good news, isn't it? Some of you are thinking, I am so deep into this addiction. I am so deep into this sin pattern in my life. There's no way I can ever overcome it. Well, God says that he can give you the strength. He can provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's a promise that you need to hold on to. And again, if you're deep into any addiction... If you're deep in any sinful pattern, I'll just let you know 
that without telling somebody else, you have no chance of getting out of that. That's why God gave us brothers and sisters. Right? That's why he gave us each other, so that we could confront each other about sins. And wives, I would encourage you to talk to your husband and say, hey, are you struggling with pornography? Just ask him straight out, and guys don't lie. Right? That's difficult, isn't it? But your wives... And another thing, ladies, as we get into this, I would encourage you to not shame him because of it. I know it would be difficult. You're going to have to work through it, but you need to tell your husband, hey, let's get some help. Let's go to a counselor. Let's talk to a Christian brother. Let's work through this together. Okay? Hey, it's not easy to deal with sin, right? It's the consequences of sin that we have to look at. And uh, God has unbelievable grace for both you and me. No matter what we're been, we've been doing, He will forgive and He will rebuild relationships. He'll rebuild you. There might be some consequences along the way, obviously, but there's hope in your future. Sometimes you have to hit the darkest point in order to realize that and turn around and see what God can do in your life. So, another verse we can look at Jesus Christ was tempted. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one, one who has been tempted in every way, but just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus Christ knows what sexual temptation is all about. Jesus Christ knows what pride... I mean, <laughs> imagine being the Son of God and struggling with pride, right? <laughs> well, I'm not sure what sins Jesus Christ was tempted in. We know, obviously, in the in the wilderness with Satan, and they had to do with pride and, and other issues. But again, Jesus Christ is tempted. He knows what it's like to want something, but he never did sin. So that's a beautiful thing that you can go to God in prayer and say, and go to Jesus and say, I know you've been through something like this, and I don't know where to go or what to do. And he'll guide you along the way. Well, other things, Ephesians 6, 10, 11, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So you, have, you need to stand strong. You need to stand strong against what the devil wants to do in your life. Jack Handy, who wrote Deep Thoughts for Saturday Night Live back in the 90s, uh, came out with a book, Fuzzy Memories, and he told the story of a bully, a bully who... Uh, was always, you know, dominating him and taking money from him. And so he finally said, okay, I, I'm going to get back at this boy. So he, he was going to take karate lessons. So it was $5 a lesson. And he did the math, and he said, well, I'm paying less to the bully than I am to the karate teacher, so I'll just keep paying the bully. <laughs> That's how we rationalize sin. Oh, it's way too painful to deal with this sin in my life, so I'll just continue on with my current existence existence friends what you don't know is the pain and the penalty that you're going to pay uh, if you continue on in the same track on the same track first uh, corinthians 15 33 do not be misled bad company corrupts good character some of you need to watch out who you're hanging around with in fact ladies i'll talk to you about facebook they did a study with divorce lawyers and they said a majority of divorces these days, or a good number of divorces, were caused by Internet relationships that turned into emotional affairs or sexual affairs. I tell you, 
Facebook is another phenomena that is wonderful in many ways, but it gives you the opportunity in an anonymous way to find out old flames or start new relationships and things like that. It's really, uh, it's really mysterious uh, how Satan uses that, but he does. So if you're getting, uh, again, you, ladies need to be very careful never to share with another man about the struggles of your marriage unless that person is a professional counselor or somebody who plays that particular type of role. Uh, don't be crying on anybody's shoulder, all right, whether it be on Facebook or whether it be in the office or anything of that nature. Uh, you're not necessarily consumed with sexual lust, but you have a lust for emotional connection. When you're not getting that from your husband, you look other places. So be careful of that. Don't hang around with people who are going to lead you down uh, the wrong path. Also, in dealing with temptation, Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Again, Scripture memory. So let's lay out a uh, strategy here. If you're dealing with a temptation, number one is prayer. Continue to pray the power of Jesus Christ into your life. Meditation, memorization on Bible passages. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that one area of temptation, and I want you to go to your search engine, and I want you to put Bible passages on envy, Bible passages on pride, Bible passages on sexual lust. Whatever your issue is, just put that in your search engine. And the first couple are probably going to be really good. They're going to give you a list of Bible passages that you can memorize, meditate, print out, focus on, pray over. Now, don't go too far down the list. It gets kind of funky. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, so <laughs> just go to what looks trustworthy. All right? But Again, saturate your mind with Scripture. That's the sword that we had to protect ourselves against Satan. And finally, accountability. Accountability. That is so important. And I know it's the scariest thing we can do is to reveal ourselves to other people. But we're all struggling with something. So pray about, ask the Lord to bring a person into your life, identify that person, and just get together with them and say, hey, can you help me out? That's what our body needs to be about. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you uh, for our family here. And I want to thank you for those who are struggling this morning. Your Holy Spirit has spoken to them about their sin and how they're being extremely tempted or how they've already disobeyed and they're heading toward death. I pray that they would take a radical or make a radical decision today to deal with their sin. In Christ's name. Well, if you could take out your...